it's always a challenge to prepare a sermon and to get up in front of people and preach. And it's even more of a challenge when you look at your notes and your notes start on page two of seven. And you don't realize where page one went and it's not in my group of notes. Luckily, it's just the introduction and uh, that one didn't have any scriptures really with it. But I, so I'm going to be able to cover that. Anyways, if you would open your song books, number 449, 449, <clears throat> O to be like the. In 1992, there was a commercial that came out, and it was made by Gatorade, and it, it was all about Be Like Mike, and it showed Michael Jordan and a bunch of little kids running around shooting a basketball, and even young adults shooting a basketball, and it was all about the idea of these children and anybody really wanting to be like Mike, be like Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was the at that time, the most famous athlete in the world. Um, I was had some of his statistics pulled up a second ago, and I had them in my notes earlier. But like I said, he was the most popular and a very successful basketball player at that. So this was 1992, and he was coming off of his second world championship. Um, he'd been the most valuable pay, player three years, all, three times already, and. Uh, NBA Finals, most valuable player, those two championships. He was a 10-time scoring leader. He was made Defensive Player of the Year. He had uh, eight-time All-Star at that point, and just accolades go on and on and on with him. And so Gatorade's idea was they're going to capture on the popularity of Be Like Mike, Be Like Michael Jordan. And when I think about that, it's like they're trying to put him in a role model position. But their main goal was to capture capture his popularity and make money. That's what Gatorade's goal was, and it worked. Gatorade was and became a very, very popular sports drink for years. But when we think about role models, so many people have various ideas of what role models are. Uh, doing some research on role models, there was a listing on a website. There were 55 examples of good role models, and not a single one of them if you were to read through that list, would be somebody that a Christian should look up to for their moral standards. Um, and Michael Jordan wasn't one you should look up as well for a role model. He was a very competitive and uh, bad gambler, threw away millions of dollars in gambling. He was a womanizer. Um, he cheated constantly, but Gatorade's idea was to make him a role model. But when we think about a role model, we need to be like Brother Paul when he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's our role model is Christ. And in preparing for sermons lately, I've been looking at the songbook and thinking about doing sermons on Jesus through this from the songbook. And this one came up, oh, to be like thee. And that should really be our desire, oh, to be like thee. So we're going to go through uh, just verses 1 and 2 tonight. I started this sermon, and I realized if I did all four verses, we were going to be here a lot longer. So you'll hear the rest of this on the last uh, Sunday of the month, and I will bring the first page of my lesson at that point, I hope. So verse 1, O oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, this is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of our treasures, Jesus thy perfect likeness to wear. Before I go into that, 
I want to read 1 Corinthians 14, 15, and why it's important that we look at the songs and understand what we are singing and what we are claiming as we sing. They're not just idle words, but we have to, as Brother Paul here says, what is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding. We have to understand what we are singing. So when we look at a verse like this, there are some very powerful messages that it says, and very uh, good goals to try to strive for. But ones that we have to think about is, are we being this way as we sing this song? And I say we because when I read it, um, sometimes words of songs can sting <laughs> sting the singer, including myself, as I, I read through this and prepare for it. But verse 1, Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, this is my constant longing and prayer. Are we constantly longing and praying to be like Jesus? Well, we can read the Word of God, and when we do that, are we constantly reading to understand His amazingness, His glory, His majesty, His power, His holiness? And are we seeking to understand His love for the world, His compassion, His grace, His wisdom? Are we constantly longing to understand those characteristics of God? And the Scriptures tell us in 2 Timothy 2.15, to be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be shamed, rightly dividing the Word. We have to study and be in the Word, and so we can understand truly what Jesus is like. And then again, we can say, are we like the Bereans who, script, who search the Scriptures daily to find out whether those things were so? They were searching them. Are we constantly longing and praying to be like Jesus? Or are we constantly longing and praying for things of this world, for physical blessings for even uh, phys physical blessings as in monetary, but then physical blessings for ourselves, or is our constant longing and prayer is to be like Jesus, to be more holy, to be more, uh, to be a better Christian. And so, and what about our prayers? One thing we have to realize sometimes is when we pray, we have to be willing to accept the answer. If we look over in James 1, 5 through 8, James here says, If any one of you lacks wisdom, let us ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind, for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. If we're going to be constantly longing and praying to be like Jesus, we have to be prepared to go through some of the things Jesus went to, went through. And when we constantly pray for that, and we need to uh, have faith, obviously, that God is going to answer those prayers. Well, Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. you know, we're going to, <clears throat> God is going to provide us what we ask within his will. I've heard people often pray, be careful what you pray for. It's like when you pray for patience and that you're going to get tried and your patience is going to get tried so you can develop patience. And then I think that can fit here. It's like we need to be thoughtful and mindful of what we pray for. If we're going to constantly pray, constantly long and pray to be like Jesus, 
We need to think about what Jesus went through and if we are willing to make those sacrifices. You know, Jesus was mocked and ridiculed you know, a lot of different places he went. He was doubted by his own disciples. We think about Thomas. You know, sadly, he's known as Doubting Thomas. And John 20, 25, it says, The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He doubted. And he was doubted by his own disciples. And as Christians, if we're going to say we want to be like Jesus, and we act like him, and we teach like him, we're going to be doubted. We're going to be questioned by those of the world. Again, Jesus was questioned constantly. Just looking in Matthew chapter 2, 12, or uh, Matthew as I was going through this. In Matthew 12, he was asked about the healing on the Sabbath because he healed somebody. Matthew 16, he was asked about signs for heaven. Matthew 22 alone, he was asked about paying taxes, about the resurrection, about the commandments of God. Uh, Mark 17, 7, he was asked about traditions. Mark 10, about, asked about divorce. And again, in that same one, he asked about in receiving eternal life. Jesus was asked questions constantly about scriptural matters. And are we willing, are we ready to be asked those questions and ready to be able to answer those questions like Jesus did? Um, so we have to prepare ourselves for that. Uh, you got to think about something else. Jesus was called Satan. You know, he was the they called him Beelzebub because he healed a demon-possessed man. You know, now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons, Matthew 12, 24. Christians are going to be called some ugly names, especially in today's world as the society gets meaner and meaner, really is the easy way to put it. We're going to be called some ugly things. Uh, and hopefully we don't get called Satan or you know, the ruler of demons, but if we're doing right, we're going to be ridiculed and called different names. So when we think about that, just that first line there, are we truly ready to say that we want to be like Jesus? I believe it's a great and lofty goal, and one that we should work to obtain, but it's not something that we should be taking lightly. Oh, to be like the Savior, this is my constant longing and prayer. Then the second half of that one, uh, or the second third there, we will glad. How about the idea of gladly I'll forfeit all of earth's treasures? Will we gladly forfeit all of earth's treasures? I think the goal of most of the Western world is to gain and gain and gain more and more and more possessions. That's what people live for. That's what people strive for. Uh, we, our neighborhood, it's like battle of who can have the next greatest thing. Neighbor gets pulled, this neighbor gets pulled. This one gets landscaping, this one gets landscaping. This one's getting something around their pool, this one's getting something around. And not only do we see it happening, they talk about it. Well, they're getting this, so we're going to get this. It's truly just sad that that is all of their life goal. And one of them claims to be you know, Christians and believers in Christ, but they're the furthest things from it. And... You know, and when we think about that, that's the goal of, I'd say, most of the Western world. And if you think about, and if any of you all have done, who've done mission work, sometimes in those other countries, their goal is just to make it to the next meal. They are striving just to make it to afford their next meal to provide for themselves. 
And you can see why some of those people are so freely willing to come to the gospel because they see what Jesus can provide. Us in the Western world, we think we have it all. But forgetting those of the world, what about those of us in this building right now? Thinking about those words. If we lost all for Christ, if we gave up all of earth's treasures for Christ, would we, would we be okay with that? Could we accept that? I think if sometimes that happens to people, the first thing they're going to do is question God. Why did this happen to me? Maybe eventually they'll get a lot, they'll, they could get around to saying, I was glad to lose it all for Christ. But most people would question why. Because in our world, we work to provide things and we work to provide for our family and to have those things. It, it, I, I truly think it would be wonderful if we could be like the brethren of Acts chapter 2, the early church. There, as we see in Acts chapter 2 and in verse chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, where they saw those in need and they just went and sold what they had so they could provide to other people. Now, I'm not saying you need to sell all your possessions to help others, but sometimes we're like, well, I don't really have the money to help with that or to provide for that. Well, what do we have sitting around that we haven't used in 15 years? You know, that's why people have garage sales to get rid of stuff they don't have. Um, but would we be willing to sacrifice what we call our treasures to serve and obey God? Yeah. And we think about what Jesus gave up. He gave up a whole lot more than earth's treasures. He gave up heaven. He gave up the glories of heaven. Philippians 2, 5-8 says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal to God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He gave it all up and came to heaven. And not only did he give up all of the treasures and the glory of heaven, he gave his life and died for us. So we have to ask ourselves, like, oh, to be willing to forfeit all of earth's treasures. Can we truly sing that? And then, Jesus, thy perfect likeness to where? What is his perfect likeness to well? Where, where, when you think about his characteristics, um, you know, Jesus was very humble. We think about that. He was a very humble person. He had a very humble beginning, and he gave up heaven to obey his Father and come to earth and save us. When I think about that as well, I left some other things in there that I meant to remove. The perfect likeness to wear. We wear Jesus. We think about that. We are one of the ways people see Jesus. You know, people can see Jesus through the Word. People see through Jesus through nature. But they can see it in us. They should be able to see how we are different from the world and want to know why we are different than the world and how we became different from everyone else. We think about this, we think about several, several verses. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. If Christ lives in me, that's who, who people should see in me. Yes, they see 
Chris as a person, but they should see something different about Chris than other people, that I live for him. It says, Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We live for Christ. We should be wearing his likeness and be like him. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, I, brethren, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We have to be transformed. When we're transformed from what the world sees, acts like, and is to what Christ wants us to be and God wants us to be, we're different. We're not trying to fit in. We're not try, supposed to try to be like Mike or be like any other um, worldly role model. Brinson and I read some of the same books, and one of the ones we've been reading is Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events. Um, I'm only about halfway through, and I think he's close to the last book. But one book, number six, the, the children there, the Baudelaire children, go and live with the family who is all about what is in. They're the in family. They only do what is in. They have the in auction. They have the in clothing. And the reason they accepted the orphans to come live with them, because orphans are in. So they can accept these children. And it's just, it's amusing. But then again, when you look at the world today, you people have to have what is in all the time. What is the newest thing? What is... What is being sold? And But we are not to be this way. Our worship is not to be what is in. Brother Bill said this morning, you're talking about you know, designer church and designer worship. This isn't you know, have it your way, Burger King, when you come into church. We have a certain way to do it, and we have to do it God's way. Um, our life choices are not to be based upon what is in, but on what God expects from us. And our church is not to be based on what is in. It's based on how many churches there are and what the Bible says, and we know that to be one. When we think about the perfect likeness to where Matthew 5, 14-16, Jesus says that you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We are the light of the world. We are to, when we think about the word the light of the world, if we're wearing his likeness, well, what was Jesus? We go to John chapter 1, tells us that Jesus was the light. We go to John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. John chapter 9, 5, again, he says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Again, if we're wearing his likeness and we are the lights of the world, we are to be wearing Jesus. We are to be like Jesus. And in wearing that perfect likeness of Christ, we have to crucify our lives to Christ. Uh, you think about several of you in here, a lot of kids, but not everybody has had kids. When you have kids, you sacrifice a lot of things for those children. You give up a lot of things that maybe you wanted to do differently with your life, but you give those up for your children. When we think about being a Christian, we give up the things that the world tells us we want to be like Christ so that we can be a light and that shines into the dark world. Oh, to wear the perfect likeness of the Redeemer. So when we go back and think about that verse again, 
Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, this is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of earth's treasures, Jesus, thy perfect likeness to wear. Very, uh, can be very sobering words. So let's look at verse 2 now. Oh, to be like thee, full of compassion, loving, forgiving, tender, and kind, helping the helpless, cheering the fainting, seeking the wandering sinner to find. We're going to first focus on full of combat, compassion, loving, forgiving, tender, and kind. There's a lot of people in the church that say that they're Christians cannot. Those traits don't really apply to them, the way they act and the way they treat other people, the way they treat brethren or where they treat family. We have some friends that uh, he lost his job during COVID, and a member of the church where they are, and it's Church Christ, Said, well, I've, I got a job. You can you can come and work for me. He owns a company. He's like, that's the worst boss I've ever had in my life. He was mean. He was hateful. He was a user of his employees and just abused people. And it's really sad because he thought, okay, this is a great situation. I've got somebody that's willing to help me out. And he was so ready to get out get out of that job. And it's just sad that people can call themselves Christians and act that way. Um, Jesus had compassion on many occasions, uh, many occasions. In Matthew 5, and sorry, Matthew 9, 35 through 38, Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching, preaching, and healing, and was um, and he was moved with compassion for them because they had no shepherd and no laborers. Um, in the account of the feeding of the 5,000, Matthew 14, 14, Jesus saw the multitude and was moved with compassion for them. Um, and healed their sick. And in the feeding of the 5,000, his compassion was for the healing. In the feeding of the 4,000, he had compassion on them because they were with him three days, and they didn't have any food for those three days. So he's got compassion on their physical well-being. He's got compassion about their spiritual well-being. Um, again, Matthew 20, he had compassion on the blind men and restored their sight. And like I said, Jesus' compassion addressed their physical needs, food, health, and their spiritual needs. Lack of shepherd and lack of a laborer to go and bring them to the shepherd. But his compassion was not just words. Some people can appear compassionate uh, because they see, see that things are needed, but then they never actually do something about it. And I, when I think about that, I, I've got family that sure likes to point out when something needs to be done, but they don't like to do it. And I can just think of sayings that roll through my head. Uh, but anyways, we say, look at all those people that are hungry. I sure hope someone feeds them. You know, that idea of you see the need, but you don't act on it. Look at those. Look at all those sick and, and injured. The doctors sure have a lot of work to do. Um, but Jesus was a man of active compassion. It wasn't passive for him. So can we be a people that say we are full of compassion, full of compassion? If you're a full, there's no more room. There's not room for the other things. There's not room for lack of compassion. There's not room for hatred. There's not room for anger. You are full of compassion. And then Jesus, full of compassion, loving. Jesus was loving. Are we loving? We know Jesus loved us so much that he gave his life for us. Uh, John 15, 12 through 4, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. 
You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Jesus loved us so much, he gave his life for us. But Jesus also loved his Father and obeyed his plan. Now, in Luke chapter, or sorry, John chapter 14, Jesus talks about the Helper coming with the Holy Spirit. And right after that, he discusses his love for God. The Holy Spirit was going to be coming because Jesus was leaving. And he says, but the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. He said, let's go. He knew what was coming. He knew what he was facing. And he said, I've, I love the Father. I'm going to do as he commanded me, and I'm going to go obey him and be that sacrifice on the cross. Jesus loved you know, the people around him as well. He, uh, he loved Lazarus, Mary, or Martha, and her sister. And the account in John chapter 11 of the death of Lazarus and the resurrection of Lazarus, the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. He loved Lazarus. And 11.5 says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sisters and Lazarus. So he loved people around him. He even loved those who didn't want to obey. We think about the rich young ruler. When he, the rich young ruler came to him and said, Father, you know, teacher, what must I do? And he told them what he did. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him, knowing what he was going to do, knowing what he was going to say. It says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come take up the cross and follow me. And you look at that next verse, which I didn't put on here. But he turned around and he went away because he wasn't willing to say, gladly I'll forfeit all of earth's treasures. He had too much wealth to think about giving all that up. So Jesus was a great example to, for love and one we must follow. So we think about, oh, to be loving. Jesus was forgiving. Hanging on the cross, being ridiculed, mocked, scourged. What did the loving Savior say? Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them. He was a forgiving person. It says, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And then they divided his garments and cast lots and fulfilled the scriptures. In the midst of his crucifixion, he could ask God to forgive those ungodly people who were willing to hang him on the cross. And then Jesus taught about forgiveness as well. Peter came to him in Matthew 18, 21 through 22, and asked him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Yeah, that's a lot of times to forgive somebody. And sometimes people might keep score on those, but it's the idea is that you don't need to be counting. You just need to forgive people if they're willing to forgive. Uh, Seek forgiveness. So, oh, to be forgiving. And then Jesus was tender and kind. He was willing to heal the sick, forgive the sinner, teach the erring, teach the stubborn apostles, rebuke the hard-hearted teachers of the day. He, and he did that all with tenderness and kindness. Um, you know, he did get angry and cleanse the temple, but he didn't. Like when somebody came to ask him a question, he was direct but he's, he said it with tenderness and kindness. And even though we know that God hates sin and Jesus hates sin, Psalm 5, 4 says, You are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. 
Sin is not part of God. Sin is not part of Satan. But there was never any hatred that he had towards them. He was tender and kind. And tender and kind is taught in the Scriptures. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, the kindness. Um, it's one of the descriptions of love, 1 Corinthians 13.4, that we are supposed to be kind. And then Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Jesus was tender and kind, and the teachings of Jesus are tender and kind. And so when we think about that, we need to be tender and kind. And that's with anything that we do. You know, just even working with each other around here, around the building, different activities at different times. Um, we need to make sure that we are being tender and kind with each other. Not being short, not getting our feelings hurt because somebody asked us to do something that we might not want to do. And then he says here, helping the helpless, cheering the fainting, seeking the wandering sinner to find. Uh, we see Jesus constantly helping the helpless. Um, they couldn't heal themselves. They could not save themselves. And they could not teach themselves. But he went and found them. He came to earth to help us, the helpless. Jesus said in John 14, 6, says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus came to help us because we could not get there on our own. Are we going out and helping the helpless? Are we helping those and finding those who need the truth, who need the gospel? Well, Jesus spent three plus years helping the helpless. And there are times when we complain, when we help anyone for any amount of time. Uh, how many times have we had thoughts, you know, oh, they're just lazy. Or this is, there isn't any point in helping them. I wish they'd get their act together. And just thoughts like that. Or you help somebody and you think, this is getting old, I'm tired of helping them. There's times that we have to step away from helping people, but there's also times that we need to continue to help people to get on the right path. So, oh, to be help the helpless, and my little addition is with a good attitude. Cheering the fainting. Sometimes it's hard to cheer the fainting. It's hard to see them fading away from the church and from the truth, making other priorities, seeking the world instead of God. It can be a discouragement. And sometimes when we get discouraged, instead of doing something to help that person, which will help our discouragement, sometimes we just sit in that discouragement and we don't actually act on anything. And I think what we did a while back, I don't think it was this year, maybe it was last year when Russ put out that list of names out there, people who had fallen away and you know, mailed them letters, called them, reached out to them. That was a great thing. And some, some people responded well, some people did not. But it's still an opportunity that we have to cheer them and help them along. Uh, sometimes we need to be people's cheerleader. And when we think about if we want to sing this song that we're cheering the fainting, we need to learn to do that. Sometimes people are like, well, I'm not, I'm not an encourager. Um, I'm not very good at that. Well, guess what the scriptures tell us we need to do? Scriptures tell us, now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. In 1 Timothy 5.14, it might not matter that you're not good at it, but we still have to do it. Or 
2 Corinthians 1 speaks of comforting those who are going through trials. Yeah, other people might be better at comforting certain people in certain situations, but that still doesn't mean we can't offer some type of comfort and support. Um, 2 Corinthians 2 7, we're supposed to comfort those who come back from sin. But some people, when they leave the church and they've been gone for a while, they're afraid to come back. They're like, well, I'm, I'm afraid of what people say and what people think. And that's because how they're judged. But the fact is, is when they're coming back and they're deciding to make their lives right, we need to comfort them and be there for them. And then 2 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. It doesn't matter if we're not good at it. The Bible tells us we need to do it. Um, and I think sometimes that's difficult for us. It's like, well, that's not one of my skills. I, I love the fact Ross can get up here and leave singing. It's not one of my skills. <laughs> I will do it if I have to, though. And that's that's the whole idea is if it's needed, I'll get up here and do it. And I hope that you all sing out and drown me out so you don't have to hear me. But nonetheless, we do the things that we have to do and have a good attitude about it. So, oh, to cheer this fainting. And then lastly here on this verse, oh, to seek the wandering sinner to find. It is our duty to go into all the world to teach the gospel. We know Matthew 28, 18 through 19, and Matthew 16, 15, where he says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. We know those verses. And maybe our world is small compared to others. Um, we might not have the means or the ability physically, um, like bodily, or even the physical, monetary means to go into all of the world, but we have a world around us that we can affect. That is our world. That is the world that we can affect and where we can go and teach and preach and reach the lost. Not everybody's made to go overseas and spend you know, months in India and Africa and the Marshall Islands out there and has that desire. But we can affect what, that, what little world we have around us and bring the lost and seek the wandering sinner to find. Luke Jesus is one of Jesus' main purposes to come to this earth. He says here in Luke 19, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which lost. If we want to be like Jesus, oh, to be like Jesus, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that is lost. We are to seek and save those who are lost. So do we do that? Do we look for those who need the gospel? <clears throat> or do we screen those like, well, I, I don't think they're going to need the gospel? Uh, every person we come around, and I say we because this is me too, we need to be talking to them about Christ. So one thing that when we are talking to somebody about God and somebody comes back to the truth or somebody comes to the truth, angels rejoice and there's joy in heaven. Luke 15:10. Isn't it going to be a wonderful thing if we can be a part of bringing joy? To angels in the presence of God? Like, think about that. That we can bring joy, we can create joy in heaven because we go out and we help somebody find the truth. Oh, to seek the wandering sinner to find. So that last, doing that whole second verse again. Oh, to be like thee, full of compassion, loving, forgiving, tender, and kind, helping the helpless, cheering the faking, fainting, Seeking the wandering sinner to find. 
So we have to ask ourselves as we sing these songs, especially sing this song, is that who we are and that's what we are doing? And is that truly our constant longing and prayer to be like Jesus and to do these things? And if it is, um, that's wonderful. That's wonderful that that's who you are. That's wonderful that that's who you want to be. And I pray that you continue doing that. But if it's not somebody that you are and something that you're doing, we have the opportunity to, every time we go to the God in prayer, every time we come around somebody who's lost, we have the opportunity to do right. We have the opportunity to be tender, kind, and loving, be compassionate, tell people the truth. And if we are lacking that desire to do that, you, know, you can always ask for prayers of the church. And uh, obviously, people are going to pray for you that can get stronger and pray for yourself. And if any of these thoughts this evening have pricked your heart and you know that you need to get your life right with God, we stand and have an invitation song at this time.